Hello and welcome to The Stack. You'll be a record-breaking show for sure. I had the pleasure to visit the Guinness World Records HQ in London to talk about the incredible success of their book. I spoke to the editor-in-chief, Craig Glanday, plus Alice Pomfret from Norfolk-based Aking Magazine. Enjoy the show. Familiar Housing London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. To start the show, a very special interview for me, as I've been reading their books from a very young age. I mean, I'm sure many kids did that as well. I visited the HQ of the Guinness World Records here in London to speak with their editor-in-chief, Craig Glanday. He tells me more about the continuing success of the book, and we're talking about millions of copies here and how to keep the brand fresh. Here is Craig with more. So I started here in 2002, gosh, nearly 20 years ago. And I actually got the job because someone who was the editor of the website here came second in a stand-up comedy competition. So Channel 4 had a TV comedy competition and Jen, who was here, she won it. Well, she came second, and she left to pursue her career as a stand-up. But I had a friend working here who I'd said to, you know, if any job ever comes up, you must let me know. And she called me and said, you'll never believe it, someone's just uh, resigned. So I went, literally went down the next day with my portfolio, came into the office and asked to speak to the boss and said, look, I know there's a job going. I'm desperately keen. I love the brand. I love the book. I've read it since, I think, the 1986 edition. I just want this job. And... I got the job, <laughs> so they, they were, I don't think it was really even advertised, if, if I remember rightly. And I was looking after the Guinness World Records website to begin with, but also we were owned by Hit, uh, no, by Glenn Children's Books, so we also had Thomas the Tank Engine. So I looked after the website for that as well, and some of the other children's brands, like Sooty, Captain Pugwash was another one. Uh, I was Briefly, I was the fat controller from Thomas the Tank Engine, or Sir Topham Hat. So when kids wrote in to sort of top of hat, I would write back to them. And then at some point we split, the company got sold and I got the choice, do I want to go with the kids' brands or stay with Guinness World Records? And I thought, no, I'm going to stay with Guinness World Records because it's why I'm here. And here I am, still here 20 years later nearly. So you were always fascinated about this idea of, of a record in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, the record aspect of it is, it's a way of looking at the world through the, the lens of the superlative because if you listen to the news, you get a, on, and only a certain, I think, narrow angle view of the world. If you, look at, if you read the news, um, you have to watch the news on TV or newspapers, because there's an agenda there about selling news. And so you don't really get, I think, a very honest reflection of the world. Whereas if you look at the world through the lens of the superlative and just what is the most extreme ends of things, you then get the whole spectrum, I think, of human activity and the joyous side of things that never get reported and also we've it's very egalitarian here so whether you're i've said usain bolt who's the you know the fastest in over the 100 meters or ashley deferman who can pogo stick up the steps of the cn tower or a you know a 10 year old child who collects lip balms or whatever it is we think it's all valuable there's you know there's, there's no there's no governing council that says what's right and wrong in the world as such. Like even the Olympics, I take a bit of a, 
and a scans view at because I think somebody somewhere has decided that this is worthy of being a sport and this one isn't. Then you, then you get conflicts like pogo stickers saying, why isn't pogo sticking an Olympic sport? And you go, well, yeah, why not? Because people who can pogo stick do amazing things in the same way that other athletes, but the athletes are considered Olympians are somehow better. But we say, no, you're all amazing. It's all fantastic. It's all interesting. It's all fun quirky or you know, awesome or weird or whatever that's all great and it feeds into what we all do as humans and our job at Guinness World Records is to reflect back what people are doing which is why I think we're still here you know nearly 70 years on because we're not we're not like a stuffy encyclopedia where an editorial team is deciding what's important in the world what you must know this is the important stuff what we're saying is this is what you lot out there are doing and if you're doing it we're measuring it and we're making a book out of it, yeah, so we're a commercial organisation, we're not a government body, you know, and there's still editorial direction and curation, but we want to celebrate everything that humans do. On saying that, <laughs> on saying all that, we still reject 95% of what we get. <laughs> but anyway, that's another matter. <laughs> you must get, like, crazy requests. But tell us about the book. I mean, is it still kind of the main source of revenue for the brand? Because I still see many bookshops. I still think it's quite a, you know, especially now that it's Christmas season. Is is it still that the thing that people want? Because I know you have a presence on social media, you know, and, and everywhere. But tell me the importance of the book. Yeah, the book is, it's still the, the, the core of the business. It's still the best and fullest expression of what Guinness World Records is because it, it can cover so many topics. Social media is obviously vitally important for everyone and for us as a brand, but that only, it sort of encapsulates a certain aspect of the brand, the stuff that works well on social media. So you can understand, it's the videos, it's the very quick, the TikTok hits, you know, we, TikTok, we have a very good relationship with them because they see us as being educational and fun and bite-sized. Uh, and that's great. TV shows, they have a different need from what we are. Commercial side of the business, so companies that want to do record-breaking, that's also serviced. But the book is the one thing that covers everything, really. And it's anyway, it's number one on Amazon. It has been has been now for the last week, I think. Uh, it's the best-selling book, which is great for us, and it's fantastic news. And it also just means that people are still interested in reading. And what we see, the feedback we get, from parents and schools and libraries is that, thank God you exist, because it's the, often the only book that their children might read. So we get thanked by particularly parents of kids who have, you know, who are reluctant readers, and they don't, they don't consider themselves book readers, but they will pick up Guinness World Records. And it's nice to hear of kids putting down screens to pick up a book, and the book lives in the house. This is another great bit of research we find out is... Um, the book stays around the house. It's, it sits by the child's bed or by the toilet even, you know, whatever. For the £10 that the parents paid for that book, it's getting a lot of use. It comes and gets pulled out um, for quizzes at home, especially in lockdown, for kudos and playgrounds, like finding facts. So it's not like a video game that they spent 50 quid on and they're bored within a week or two weeks and they never play it again. It has a longevity, so it's good value as well. So I think parents see it as being trustworthy, it's got good educational content, and it's enjoyable and fun, gets kids reading. So all that all feeds into, I think, why it's still seen as being you know, an important part of the year 
and it means Christmas is coming. But you mentioned education. I remember as a kid, I think I learned quite a lot about geography, actually, reading the Guinness World of Records. And again, I'm from Brazil, so it's also quite an international brand, right? Tell us about how international is the brand. Or, and, and, and just out of curiosity, are you in charge of the UK or global? Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so we are international. We publish, I mean, over the years, we've published in probably about 40, I think it's 43 different languages. And any one year, we're publishing about 25 languages in 100 countries, roughly. You know, And we are very conscious of trying to reflect that whole global uh, makeup of, of our record breakers. So what we do is we have each major territory, so like the UK and the USA, Australia, Canada, in fact, Brazil is one of the places. We will do a specific introduction to that country in each book. So if you buy the book in Brazil, you will see something that's specific about your region. If you buy it in Spain, it's almost the same book, apart from you get a Spanish introduction that says, here's what's been going on in Spain. So it's very international, and we create here the international edition, as we call it, which is the main book. And then we have a series of licensee partners. So we tend to partner with the biggest publisher in each of the key territories, and we license them the book to create it in their language. So, as I say, in some years, yeah, we've been up to 40-odd languages. And there's always new ones and some come and go. We had, I think, a couple of years ago, we had a first Mongolian edition, uh, which is quite nice to see. You know, uh, We've done uh, South Korea recently. But also, yeah, we'd, you know, I, I would, my dream is to do either... But I'd like to do a Braille edition, and we're working now with the RN... I'd be on how do we make the book more accessible generally to people who've got uh, visual issues. And also something like Klingon would be quite fun, or Elvish. But it's just really expensive. <laughs> it's an expensive thing to do. So, and, and paper prices are going through the roof at the minute. So it's, it's really um, it's a bit of a balancing act on, like, yes, we could do a Klingon edition, but really is it going to make us enough money to cover the cost? Probably not. Uh, so let's at least cover off the main territories and, uh, and languages around the world. Well, let's talk again next year about that that, that one. <laughs> Tell us about any new records in the 2022 book. I mean, I, I see your website. Every day there's something new, and, and it's quite funny as well. But tell us about some of the 2022 edition. Anything that caught your attention? The ones that actually caught my attention, the two were, in fact, not records in a strange sense because we'd lost the fingernail record. So it's one of my favourites from childhood and... And being in the job, I've, I've managed to meet some of the fingernail record holders, you know, the longest fingernails. And over the last two years, the longest fingernails, male and female, have both had them cut off. And they're like, no, don't <laughs> do it. I mean, this is my favourite category, and you've got to cut them off. Because, I mean, there must be a nightmare to live with. Anyway, they've cut them off. Um, Shudashi Lal in India, he had a, the longest on the left hand, you know. And uh, in the US, Ayanna Williams. Uh, so she's, we're talking about like, you know, it's like seven, 70 centimeters per fingernail. You know, it's, it's an awful thing, but they had them cut off. Um, so now it means we have a gap in the book. But we put, we put the story in the book to say, oh, well, this has happened. That's life. And if you've got long fingernails, get in touch. <laughs> Tell me the longest hair, the, um, the teenager with the longest hair had, had her hair cut off. She wanted it short. It was a big story as well in the papers as well. Yeah, I mean, this stuff gets international coverage. It's because it's, it's just got some. It has that magical Guinness World Records element to it that people are just absolutely fascinated by it. And also, the hair and the fingernails records are those that you, you've chosen 
you've elected to encumber yourself to make your life difficult by having extremely long hair or extremely long nails. And that's fascinating to people. Like, why would you do that? I mean, you can be, you know, the tallest man, but you can't really help that because you've got a pituitary dysfunction, say. But if you choose to have this, and then that's fascinating. Like, why do you do it? And we, that's what we like social media for, is that you can go into a bit more detail. You can go to their homes and ask the questions, you know, that you really want to know. I mean, the, the classic one was Lee Redmond, who had the longest fingernails. She had, like, nine, 90 centimetres, almost a metre-long fingernails on every finger. And you think, well, how do you function? Like, how do you go to the bathroom, is what everyone asked. Her answer was carefully. <laughs> you go carefully. Um, but she was able... To, I flew her over to London, and she was able to demonstrate things like she could type. She would type with very long pencils to keep her nails away. Um, she could make sandwiches, she'd made us tea. She could do everything except put on a sweater, really. She couldn't get her nails through the arms of a sweater. So it's been a fascinating category, and then I'm slightly sad to see it go. It's obviously there vacant now, so if anyone's listening and has long fingernails, get in touch. GuinnessWorldRecords.com. Uh, the other thing that is, is that we get so much stuff, and you see amazing things every day until you become immune to it almost. But there's still then something happens, you go, oh, wow, that is amazing. And to me, that's the best record. Records that you want to tell your friends at home or your family or go down the pub and tell your mates or in the playground to your schoolmates. And many years ago, I was at the X Games. Sorry, this is going all over the houses. I was at the X Games in Los Angeles and I was in the car park at the end of the day and this dog zipped past me really fast on a <laughs> skateboard, a big fat bulldog. I was like, wow, I've never seen a dog on a skateboard. So I was genuinely <laughs> amazed. So I've chased after it to find where it was going and it, I found the owner uh, and so we created a record there and then in the car park of the X Games for the um, fastest, I think it was 100 metres we did, we managed to draw 100 metres in the car park and did fastest skateboarding dog and then a few years after this it became a thing, dogs skateboarding, even goats skateboarding, cats skateboarding but this year we had a great one which was a cat and a dog on a scooter together so I've, we've seen cats on scooters and we've seen dogs on scooters, but not cats and dogs on the same scooter. So that, to me, is it's just such a joyous thing. And to see these, uh, is it lollipop and sashimi, the cat and dog, it's just, it's just cheered everyone up and it made us all happy. You know? And again, that's another, I think, another reason for our success is that we just bring a bit of cheer to the world because the news is so grim, especially the last couple of years. You're quite uh, tongue-in-cheek in a way, right, as well? I think. Yeah, we like to have... I think it's just a slight quirkiness. I, I like to think of myself as like a... You know, the, the naughty uncle at Christmas who gives the inappropriate gifts and says stuff he shouldn't quite say, you know, and, and teaches kids a different take on the world, I think. So there is a slight mischievousness and, and naughtiness there, which, again, I think is appealing. It appeals to kids, but it also appeals to adults, you know. I, mentally, I'm about 14, so... That's perfect. And, and, Craig, just finally as well, next year, I know, of course, you have the book, but do you have any other print products? I saw on the website you have some other kind of selection. Do you have any, any plans for next year? At the minute, we haven't got any plans particularly to do, at least not in English anyway. But we, we've always been open to the idea of spin-off products. We did the, the Gamers edition for about 10 years. Uh, it was an annual book that looked at just video game records. But then that, because of lockdown, you know, when COVID came, we just wanted to consolidate everything and just focus on one book. It was hard enough, you know, doing just the one. 
and we've done in other years we've done things like um, an amazing animals we did a wild things book wild animals a science book called science and stuff which is this is a, I mean, for, to me that was a great expression of the brand as well because just even the title science and stuff <laughs> um, and, it, and it was things like the record-breaking aspects of things like you know, burping and farting and <laughs> how like being tall or being overweight and all that stuff. It's just all a slightly quirkier view of that. Because the information's out there, you know, the, you can search anything you want on Google. And what we need to do is, is say, OK, we're going to put a bit of a filter there because it's a tsunami of information and you can never be quite sure of any of it's true. But I know that these things are true because I've been and measured them. Like, I I did measure Sultan Kosin. He's eight foot three, and I know he is because I've been there and measured him. And I think that's the service that we bring. So whether we can do it in different books and different products, yes, we should do more of that, I think. But I think once we get, maybe get this pandemic out of the way, we are doing some stuff in Germany, for example. We've got activity books, sticker books. But yeah, and I would love to do more anyway. So my, my dream, which uh, the boss here has never quite indulged me with, Alistair, who's our president, is a book of the stuff that never made it <laughs> into the archive. There must be so many. There's, I mean, as we get about at the minute, we're getting about a hundred applications a day from around the world. At our peak, it's about a thousand a week. But as I say, we reject about ninety-five percent of what we get. Often, like half of it, you can reject immediately because the title you just know is just like, no, we're not doing that. We don't care how long your poo is or how far you can wee and all that which we get every day. People who can lick their elbows don't care. There's no record. But this, what's amazing to me is that it's not that it's rejected because it's stupid. It's rejected because it doesn't fit our criteria. But it's this huge expression of creativity and humanity that comes in which I'd love to be able to put in a book and say, yes, it didn't get the record, that's fine. But isn't it still amazing? It's still inventive, and it's people just doing fun, interesting, weird things to pass time. You know, there is no, There's no right or wrong way of doing life. We're all going to be dead in the end anyway. So the, what you should do is find the joy. I read a good quote about it not being a journey, but a dance, and that's what life is. It's not going from A to B. It's about just existing in the moment and just having fun with it. And to me, fun is the key for everything. If it's not fun, don't do it. You know. And I think I've, that's why I found the perfect job here at Guinness World Records, because I feel like I'm the, the fun king. <laughs> that's amazing. And uh, finally, Craig, out of curiosity, how many copies do you sell of the book? I mean, do you have the numbers, for example, for this year? Are, are sales holding up well because of the pandemic or the battle or worse? What can you tell us? Yeah, I think at the, like we're doing about two and a half to three million books a year, which is great. You know, I think for any book, as I say, we're number one in the UK and various other territories. I think Canada, I saw yesterday. So people are still buying books, which is the important thing, really. And yeah, I mean, it's it's great to hear from parents, as I say, who come to us just so grateful that we exist. It makes the job worth doing, and we look, we read Amazon reviews as well just to see. And they think, well, because we're actually providing quite a useful service here. So, yeah, I think that's why we're still here, why we'll still be here in another 70 years, I hope. Uh, I won't be here, obviously. Or if I will, I'll be breaking records. From... Exactly. Maybe that's your record. <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm <laughs> certainly not going to be the longest living man. We did a video recently. I did a little video for um, Old Person's Day. I think it's the United Nations Day of the Old Person, I think it's called. And I did How to Live Forever. And I basically failed every one of the steps. <laughs> 
yes, I'm not female, I have a terrible diet, I'm overweight, I drink too much, I go out, you know, it's all the things. But again, what my conclusion for that was, if you want to live forever, that's fine, but you have to live. That's the, the important part of that is you have to actually be alive and then express, you know, enjoy what, what life offers you. So if that means shaving a few years off your life for every crazy weekend you've had, then fine. <laughs> I would rather live a rich and fulfilled life than a very long one that I'm, you know, sitting dribbling in an old folks home for the last 20 years. Thank you, Craig. And of course, the Guinness World Records 2022 is out now, available in most bookshops worldwide. Finally on the show, I've welcomed Alice Pomfret from Norfolk-based title Aching Magazine, founded by her in 2018. The publication showcases the work and life of independent creatives and has a strong support local ethos. Alice tells me more about Aking. So Aking, I describe it now as like my little black book of creatives or brands, people that I like, people that I follow, people I find inspiring and people who I kind of want to shout out from the rooftops about. So it's mainly interviews. There's a few kind of mid-length essays, articles, but it's mainly just predominantly independent-based brands, like um, independent culture. Uh, this theme for issue five is focused on new beginnings. So it's a new beginning for us because we took like, a couple years out of publishing, year and a half or so. So yeah, we're just coming back to new beginnings and I'm just taking it slow this time, which is what I've learned because I kind of started it three or four years ago I'm a magazine designer by trade and I was like well I have to have my own magazine and now I've learned I kind of bit the bullet a bit too early but I'm coming back taking my time and doing things right hopefully from issue five onwards. But I'm glad you did because I know you work with several other titles you know you know being a creative as well tell us what's the difference with having your own title I think it's I mean such a big responsibility right? Yeah I mean the main difference is there's no editors to kind of go back and forth with. I take the editorial role. We do have sub-editors and things like that, but I do all the interviews myself and I really want it to be personal and I want it to be like a, a chat, a conversation, just like we're having and not formal, not kind of business-like, just really two people chatting, two friends talking. So I kind of try and keep it as least formal as possible and that's kind of probably the main difference between other publications I work for they all have their editorial ways and how they write things and systems and rules like that whereas I'm kind of making up my own complete control over it basically. Including the power to reinvent a magazine because you told me there's new paper as well uh, tell us about some of the changes I mean for those for, the, for those readers from issue four to five yeah, for example. So issue four and Previous to that, it was all inspired by a different person. So we had a Grayson Perry-inspired issue. We had an issue inspired by the architect Zahar Hadid or the late architect Zahar Hadid. But this time, we're dropping it. It's not one person. It's people as a whole. Um, it's always been inspired by people. I find people fascinating, and I find finding out stories fascinating. And I kind of got lost along the way with issues one to four and trying to pigeonhole myself of it has to be like this and it has to be like this so yeah the main difference is no one person is focused on it's people in general it's a bigger size there's same amount of pages but we've got different paper stock we've got yeah different size different design a whole redesign and kind of a different editorial focus and the reasoning behind it is different and why I do it is is different. 
And I like your connection. I mean, you're based there in Norwich, and I mm-hmm. like that connection because you you know you wanted to showcase as well a little bit of what Norwich can offer, which I f- I find it quite. Yeah. Uh, you know, I find it quite interesting as well sometimes to escape from the big centers because there's always interesting people mm-hmm. in cities like Norwich, for example. So tell us more about the connection because I know you also have a shop uh, mm-hmm. and you do some pop-ups. I'm curious to hear about that side of the story. Yeah, so Norwich is kind of so rich in its independent culture. We have so many independent shops, like even our coffee shops, we've got four or five different brands and they kind of monopolize the city. They're all independently owned. We've got independent women's wear shops and moving back into that culture, it's hard not to get sucked up into it. And it's such a strong community effort that we're all in it together. We're kind of all trying to work it all out, but we're all in it for the right reasons. And I think that's a little bit missing in modern day like it's also corporate money is just the main factor normally but with Norwich it's quite special um, and my studio is based above a independent women's wear shop so I kind of intermingle with them on the day-to-day basis we talk about everything that is annoying us with our businesses and it's just kind of I was inspired by the people that I was around within Norwich to kind of showcase that there are people within the smaller cities that are doing amazing things but it's kind of interesting because I didn't want it to be a Norwich-focused publication. There's brands which are in Norwich in a kin, but they serve like international audiences and they serve kind of national customer bases and stuff like that. So it's just showcasing that you can have a local independent brand, but it doesn't have to be like this twee, kind of crafty, all in the fields kind of situation like there's some really incredible people doing really amazing things but just because it's outside of London including a magazine coming exactly. from there which I find it quite <laughs> quite nice and, I mean I mean tell us about the publisher of course you are a perfect example are there any other kind of people with their magazines or kind of even journalists based there from your experience there are we have quite a strong kind of like zine publishing mm-hmm. aspect there's quite a lot of small there's quite a few music publications that we have there's a publisher called common threads who's just done a zine on like quilting and stuff so we're kind of like more small press publications more of a diy scene at the moment um there are kind of i don't know like news-based publications but not really many independents and, you know, I've looked at your website. You do sell other magazines, including your very own Confect. So that's good. That's nice. Um, so how is it? I mean, it is an online shop, right, mm-hmm. for people that want to buy magazines, which is always great. A great selection, I have to say, by Thank the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's online. We do pop-ups around the city. So I kind of tailor the titles and magazines to which shop they're in. So the women's wear shop in my studios below has Confect in it and it has titles like Kinfolk and ones that kind of suit the kind of customers that go in. But then I serve, um, there's a shop called The Garnet, which have their own pub and their own kind of supply store and they have titles like Noble Rot and they have food and wine-based publications. So we have our physical stands within these shops where people can buy from, but then our kind of main titles are on our website. But the main reason I sold magazines was because I couldn't buy them when I first came to Norwich and I was just this magazine designer magazine maker and I was just like if I can't buy them where are the magazines yeah some some other people must be thinking the same thing so it's kind of a selfish endeavor but now it's snowballed into what it is today thank you Alex and Aikin's issue five is out now for more information just go to aikinmagazine.com Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp at monaco.com. 
And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And meanwhile, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Daft Punk with Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye for me. Stronger.